Welcome back to Cyberology, Dakota State University's podcast about all things cyber and technology. I'm Jen Burris. Hi, and I'm Gabe Midland. And today's guest is Andrew Kramer, instructor of computer and cyber sciences in the Beacom College. Today we'll be revisiting offensive security, and Andrew will specifically be talking about finding and exploiting software vulnerabilities. Andrew, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an honor to be here with you. My name is Andrew. I am originally from the West Coast, from California, uh, moved out to be a DSU student in around 2013 and just fell in love with the school and the community. Uh, and so I feel very lucky to have been hired here as a teacher uh, after school. And yeah, I've been teaching here since 2017 full time. So Awesome. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about how finding and exploiting software vulnerabilities fit into offensive security? Yeah, so offensive security is all about how you, you know, break into machines, compromise systems, uh, sort of violate what we think are the fundamental rules of how computers are meant to work. Mm -hmm. um, and so finding and exploiting vulnerabilities is a quintessential part of that. Uh, most of the time, if you are gaining access to a system in a way that's unexpected or you shouldn't technically be able to. Uh, there needs to be some vulnerability there that you can take advantage of and exploit that in some way to gain access to that machine. Wow. So how do you find them, vulnerabilities? <laughs> many, many different ways. So uh, I would say probably a good place to start would be to identify all of the inputs to a program or to a system. Uh, because if you're going to you know, exploit a vulnerability, find a vulnerability and take advantage of it, you need to be able to interact with the software in some way first. Uh, so enumerating where and how you can provide input and what mm. types of input the program expects is going to be a, a good start. So for instance, if this is a website, uh, maybe we look at what pages are available on the website. Maybe we look at are there places you can log in, places you can submit an order, places that you can uh, enumerate the users on the system, or maybe there are other ports open that you could connect to to upload files or download files from the website. And anywhere that you can provide input to the system is an opportunity to provide it some unexpected input that makes it do something interesting. I'm really curious about this. Um, do companies come to you and say, uh, we'd like you to check our system, see how robust it is? Or do they wait until your students graduate and uh, go into uh, a job somewhere? And where does the business come from? I think any or all of the above. Um, so th this could take many different forms. One form would be uh, what we call traditional penetration testing or red team services, where a company hires a person or a team of people to try to break in, try to find a way in, and then report on their findings. So another way that uh, you might go about this is bug bounty, uh, which is when a company publishes a general statement saying anybody is welcome to submit vulnerabilities that they find in that company's software or services. 
Um, and most large companies are, are willing to be a part of this. So Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, all of them have made public statements that if you find a vulnerability, as long as you report it in uh, you know, a reasonable amount of time, you let them know what's wrong, they will not only thank you for that rather than uh, prosecuting you, but they might pay some money for that as well. Um, another way that folks go about this is if you find a vulnerability in a piece of software that's widely used, uh, sometimes those can be sold in maybe shadowy dark markets around the world. In some ways and places that is legal, in others it is not. Uh, I, I don't necessarily go about it in that way, but, but others might. So people can find a way to take advantage of the information they find. Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, if you find a vulnerability in a piece of software or in a company's network, uh, there are many legal routes to report that, uh, to get it fixed, uh, even to get a reward for it. Um, and then there are, of course, markets where those can be sold for other purposes, unfortunately. So is there a lot of research involved in this? in like looking into a specific company or their website, things like that? Tons, yeah, more so than ever. So over the past two or three decades, there's been a lot of research into how to prevent software vulnerabilities um, and how to sort of put some guardrails on software so that when they occur, they're harder to exploit and they're, they're less likely to be exploitable. Um, and so I would say, whereas you know, in the early 90s, early 2000s, a software vulnerability wasn't worth any money. People would find them and just publish them online. These days, those are, are very, very valuable pieces of information. If you have the ability or have knowledge of, of how to, for instance, hack Google Chrome so that if you browse a website, it downloads some software to your computer. Um, these days, those types of vulnerabilities fetch literally millions of dollars sometimes. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cyberology. So there's got to be a concern that, you know, working with students and, and training them to become recognized as skilled people who can be doing this kind of offensive work. Is there any kind of a, a screening process or, I mean, can anybody declare this major, get this information? Um, how do you, I mean, is there anything you can do to make sure that students aren't just taking this to exploit and take advantage of the vulnerabilities of different kinds of sites and businesses and so forth? Yeah, so we as faculty teaching these subjects um, just try to keep a close eye on that. Uh, mm -hmm. There are some legal limitations on export controls. Um, there, there are things that you can only teach or say in a class full of U.S. citizens, I think that's a little bit silly because like you can find the same information online anyway. And that, <laughs> I don't feel sure. like that makes a big difference. But um, uh, yeah, I, I would say anybody is welcome to come to school here and anybody uh, is welcome in the classroom. I would be happy to teach these techniques to any student that sits down in front of me. So when somebody sits down in the classroom, I'm going to assume that they have good intentions for the knowledge. Uh, and I'm happy to teach anyone these techniques and these skills. If I saw an indication that somebody was using it for evil or using it to hurt other people, um, I would probably confront them about it or, you know, handle that in, in 
other means, but I'm going to assume that they have good intent until I see that they don't. And so what goes into teaching students about software vulnerabilities and finding them and exploiting them? So ironically, it's just a lot of understanding how the machine is supposed to work. It's a lot of reading manuals, reading documentation, and just experimenting with the tools that are available. Um, we see a lot of people, you know, start the, like the cyber operations program here with the expectation that on day one, they're going to sit down and learn how to hack. And <laughs> to some extent, yes, but really hacking is just finding a new novel, interesting way to interact with the machine to make it do something that everyone else didn't expect it to do or didn't know that it could do. Uh, and in order to do that, you need to really understand how the machine works. So a lot of what you know we might call hacking is just reading the manual and figuring out new ways to interact with the system. That is an excellent way of explaining it to people who may not know much about the cyber industry. Yeah. So I'll give you a, an interesting example of that. If you've been reading the news uh, lately, you may have seen the log4j vulnerability discussed. Familiar with that? So there was a major software flaw discovered in a piece of software called log4j. Okay. And it turns out the quote unquote vulnerability here is really just a feature that nobody realized you could use in that specific way, which led to you know, software being compromised remotely all over the world in every large company, uh, you know, in the United States. But really, it's just a feature that existed from years back that that nobody considered that you could use in that special way. So read the documentation. That will make you a hacker. So do a lot of your students then who study this, they might even have the opportunity to develop new softwares with all of this background information about how systems can be hacked or um, gained access to um, things like that. So, I mean, I would imagine that your students have a even broader perspective than many in the technology majors that we offer here at DSU. Yes, and I think that's an aspect of DSU uh, that really sets us apart from other universities and other uh, programs like ours is that where those other programs may be teaching, you know, traditional software development, traditional network management, systems administration, and, and doing a very good job of it. I, I don't mean to no. belittle anyone else's program, but ours has such a focus on security and the things that can go wrong and how they go wrong that I think our students walk away with, you know, some of that knowledge even if they're not directly involved in a cybersecurity field. So our students that are going into software development roles are going to have a better idea uh, how to prevent vulnerabilities in the code. Um, our students that are going into you know, system administration or network management roles uh, are going to have a better idea of how the attackers are going to come at them and what particular vulnerabilities they need to watch out for or how to build the system in a resilient way. Uh, and I think that's something unique to DSU. So in talking about students, what kind of future do they have outside once they've graduated DSU? Where do they get to go with this knowledge? Oh my goodness, just about anywhere. <laughs> so every company in every industry uses technology in some way these days. 
And so every company in every industry also has an interest and a need in protecting those systems. Um, so whether our students end up in defensive security roles, uh, you know, protecting systems um, ahead of time, trying to, to get ahead of the attackers, whether they end up in software development roles where they're trying to write software in uh, a secure way, whether they end up in offensive roles where they're looking for vulnerabilities, um, there's going to be a space for any niche that the, that the student is interested in, in going into. I don't know. Did that answer that well? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. 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 Can you you talk a little bit about where some of our students have ended up and what they're doing now? Yes. I can talk about uh, most of them. In generalities, (laughs) maybe? In generalities. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The the national labs really like our students. Uh, So Sandia National Labs, Los Alamos National Labs, um, Pacific Northwest National Labs, uh, Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab. We have lots of alumni that go to those uh, places. And I probably can't talk too much about the specific work they're doing or the customers that they work for. But you can imagine that it is uh, security related, both offensive and defensive, uh, and very exciting work. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have students that go work for banks or hospitals or other universities protecting their networks. Uh, We have some students that freelance. I know of students here that make many tens of thousands of dollars a year just finding vulnerabilities and Yahoo, Facebook, Google, uh, all of the above. Um, and so there, there's lots of opportunities. Wow, that's great. So why is this important to everyday people, this work that you guys do in offensive security? It is important to everyday people because we are finding problems with the software that everybody is using. Uh, so even if you know, you all aren't running a log4j instance at your house, I'm, I'm guessing, or that you know <laughs> of, you may be, and you, and you don't even realize it. The companies that are hosting your data and are providing the services that you use every day probably are. Uh, so for instance, Apple was impacted by log4j. I know Netflix was impacted and Microsoft was impacted. And those companies are housing data from all of us, all of you, uh, and they also you know, provide services that we rely on. And so the ability to, to find those vulnerabilities, hopefully before the attackers do, before the bad guys do, uh, gives us a leg up and, and hopefully get those things patched to protect people before it's a problem. And so is that kind of what happened with Log4j? Or- Log4j? Yeah, sorry. Right. <laughs> Log4j. Yes. Um, Okay. So I I would have to go read about this a little bit more to say with certainty, but I believe that log4j was found in the wild being abused in the wild, uh, meaning somebody found it and was using it for malicious purposes um, on a small scale. And some defense team, somebody watching network logs, watching what their server was doing, found that and published the information online. Thankfully that we, we all know that that existed and it has since been patched. Um, so sometimes, you know, finding these vulnerabilities is just a matter of watching the network and seeing what real attackers are doing. And you can sort of snag that out of the air and, and figure it out. Uh, sometimes it's just poking around with the software on your own ahead of time and finding vulnerabilities that are not yet known or that we don't yet know that anyone knows. (laughs) Right. 
So is the, I mean, the known level of nefarious activity, have we seen over, let's say, the last decade, is it about the same or is it increasing or what are the trends with this kind of activity? Yeah, good question. So there are a few different trends. Uh, traditionally, like in maybe the 90s and early 2000s, I think that most of the uh, malicious activity on the internet was, I, I don't want to say benign because people were certainly abusing it for intelligence gathering and, and financial gain. But but by and large, the people that were breaking into computers in the 90s were doing so sort of for the fun and excitement of it, I think. And you saw a lot of people just writing a worm because it was interesting to them <laughs> and for better or for worse, uh, you know, that, that happened a lot. Um, also security vulnerabilities were being just openly published. Um, when somebody found a vulnerability affecting, you know, a Microsoft server or a, a Linux service, people would just publish those and openly talk about them. And I think what we've seen in the last couple of decades is a move towards, um, exploiting software for financial gains. So you see a lot of uh, cyber criminal groups taking advantage of vulnerabilities for ransomware, um, to steal data, to sell mm -hmm. online. Uh, so, so exploitation for financial gain has gotten big. Also exploitation for intelligence gathering purposes, I think has gotten pretty significant. Um, Russia, China, Iran, even the U S to some extent uh, is using that for intelligence gathering. Um, and maybe rightfully so. I mean, it's a, it's a very effective, effective tool. The other thing, the other trend, uh, that I've noticed is vulnerabilities are no longer being talked about publicly as much because they are much more valuable. And I said earlier, some of the most valuable vulnerabilities fetch literally in the millions of dollars. And so, you know, 20 years ago, whereas that might have just been published online because somebody found it interesting today, some of the folks that are finding those vulnerabilities are staying quiet about them and selling them off to the highest bidder. Cyberology. Can you talk more about the PhD program? Yeah, that you're doing. Yeah. Sure, yeah. So I just started a PhD in computer science here at DSU. This is the first year it's being offered. So this is focused less on security and more on, you know, algorithms and optimization and computer programming, some math. Uh, and kind of the theoretical and, and fundamental uh, building blocks of how computers work. But back to what I said earlier about really hacking is just a matter of reading the documentation and understanding the system. By learning all of those fundamental pieces of how the computer works, that also, I mean, leads to greater understanding of how to find and exploit software vulnerabilities. So it kind of strengthens your skills that you already have. Certainly. Yeah, certainly. And... Um first year in how's it uh, how, how are we looking i mean have we been able to attract some students yeah so actually i think the only two starting this year are myself and sean zwalk who's also faculty here at dsu okay uh, so we're sort of piloting the the program as students um, of course we have very active phd programs in uh, cyber operations and and cyber defense right now um but we're kind of leading the the computer science PhD here. Great. I let okay. me restate that. We're not leading the computer science <laughs> PhD. <laughs> we're we're participating in students and 
That's great. I mean, that um, that's a process. I mean, to get that all set up and running and the approval from the different um, levels of all the way through the Board of Regents and things like that, that's terrific. Yeah, it's exciting to see. Um, DSU has really grown up a lot in, you know, the past decade or two. It's it's impressive to watch. So what drew you to DSU? Specifically, the cyber operations program and the uh, agreement that we have with NSA or the, the designation that we have from NSA. In 2013, I had completed two years of just general education at a community college in California, and I knew that I wanted to do something related to computer security because it was already a hobby of mine. And I was just Googling around like which schools have, have good cybersecurity programs. And DSU was one of four at that time that had the Center of Academic Excellence in Cyber Operations designation. Um, and the three others either were too expensive or weren't accepting applicants until the next year or you know, only offered graduate programs and DSU said, come on down. And I had never been to South Dakota before. I moved here sight unseen, got a house on Craigslist and I really worked wow. out great. Yep. <laughs> what a story. Yeah. Yep. And you stayed. I stayed. Yeah. Uh, so my hometown in California is very small, 700 people. We had to like drive over a hill to see a stoplight or a Walmart. And so this actually feels very much like home to me. Uh, Less trees, less mountains, more corn, but <laughs> other than that, very similar to home. What challenges do you see the field that you're in will be facing in the years to come? Okay, so I'm going to give you two answers here, and this may sound contradictory, but, but I'll, I'll do my best to explain. In one way, software vulnerabilities are becoming a lot more difficult to find and a lot more difficult to exploit. You know, we've spent 20 or 30 years understanding how they occur, uh, how to prevent them from happening, and then how to like add guardrails to a piece of software so that when they occur, they're harder to exploit. Uh, and that is why, you know, a vulnerability in Google Chrome today fetches a million dollars because they're really hard to find and exploit in, in some particular pieces of software. Uh, so in some ways, I think the challenges are keeping up with all of the mitigations that are being added, um, keeping up with all of the changes and how software is being built and, you know, finding vulnerabilities where they are more and more rare. That said, on the other hand, there is more software being written now than ever before. There are more devices being, you know, added to your home and your car and, uh, the environment than ever before. And quite often, the folks that are building those devices and, and writing that software, their primary goal is just to get it built and get it to market. And more so than ever, there's just lots and lots and lots of software available to look at. Uh, so, you know, maybe in the, in the nineties, there were three or four major operating systems and the internet was composed of however many hundred thousand or a few million servers all running a relatively homogenous, um, you know, set of software today, uh, especially with the IOT boom, there is just computers everywhere. Um, and so there are more opportunities now than ever to find vulnerabilities, even if they're becoming harder to exploit in some cases. Uh, so I, again, those, those two statements may sound somewhat contradictory in some ways they're harder to find and exploit in other ways. There are more opportunities than ever. 
But to me, um, I think they are complementary in the sense that you know the field is advancing as the the um, uh, the means uh, to break into, for the lack of a better word, or to compromise a website are getting more sophisticated. So, in in many ways, I think I'm not so concerned about complementary or contradictory as though it, it requires you. You're in a really advantageous situation in that uh, you're called upon to take what you've learned and what you know and use it in new and creative ways every day. And and that's a pretty nice sweet spot. I mean, you're not doing the same, you're not making widgets. You're not yes. doing the same thing every day. And you're not doing something that's so beyond your capacity that it makes you anxious. Um, in psychology, we call that Yerkes Dobson. It's that that happy medium between being challenged, but but not but not overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And wow, I mean, you must lose track of time some days <laughs> working on something because it's it's so challenging to figure out. Well, how do I fix this, or how do I prevent that from happening? Um, yeah, I'm kind of envious myself. Yeah, spot on. I think. Um you know, this, this field in particular, exploiting software vulnerabilities often requires a lot of creativity, which is not something that you think of when you think of programming and computer science, but uh, it, it requires, you know, thinking about things in a new way or discovering a, a new method of interacting with the computer or, or just, uh, yeah, approaching a problem in a different way. Um, and also, as you said, everything is constantly changing. The, the programming language that, was, that we use uh, change every you know, five, 10 years. Uh, the software that's available to us changes every five, 10 years uh, or even quicker. Well, and I think that's one thing that's a constant is change. Mm-hmm. And um, being in the mental health field, that's what I would work with is people who want to do something different. And a lot of times... Um, well, change isn't easy or fun for any of us, but it's going to happen. So those who are successful are those who anticipate the change and make the leap. And they might stumble and fall, but they get back up because there's another change coming rather than just grumbling about it, um, doing something about it. And that for me is one of the reasons I really enjoyed Dakota State University because there's that, that general attitude that, yep, Every day there's a new piece of software or there's another way to use technology. I've invested a lot of time in figuring out what I'm doing right now, but I got to keep up, so I need to change. And um, sorry for the monologue, but um, I think what you're talking about really epitomizes the, the general attitude that people who work here kind of embraced. So, yeah, it's exciting. I would agree. It's a great place to work, great place to go to school. Um, a lot of wonderful people here doing a lot of exciting things. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being our guest, Andrew. It was a pleasure having you here. Thank you. And thank you, Xander, our podcast producer. And thank you, listeners. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe. Subscribe.